like, I can't do, I'm not in good enough shape to run for a half a mile holding up my shorts. Oh, I know. I forget, I, like I I forget every going. week. I, every time I sit down here, I look at the person sitting to my left that I blank on what I'm supposed to do. And I'm the one that started this whole stupid thing. <laughs> What is it? What is it? Describe the mobile office. Uh, it looks very much like a 2006 Subaru Forester. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Jessica Gallagher. And we're talking with Brian Powers of the Des Moines Register. Brian, how are Hello. you? Good. How are you doing? Great, great, great. I, you know, we've I've been threatening you with getting you on the podcast for a long time via Facebook messaging, and it's like, hey, we should do a podcast about this, and then it doesn't happen, and then we should do a podcast about this. So my list <laughs> of things to talk to you about is like ten pages long. But the <laughs> but the uh, why don't you for people who don't know you are, and I don't know who any person who listens to this podcast who doesn't know who Brian Powers is. Could you give a quick thumbnail sketch of like your life from Naperville North to now? Sure, sure. So um, I grew up, like you said, in Naperville, suburb of Chicago, and uh, from there went to community college in Glen Ellen. Was there for two and a half years. While I was there, I worked at the Naperville Sun, a suburban daily that used to be part of the Copley Papers, and had some amazing photographers there who were my mentors and basically kind of pointed me in this direction of photojournalism. So uh, they had gone to Western Kentucky University, or one of them had, and so that's where I ended up making my way down to. Um, was down there for two and a half years. It didn't graduate uh, because as I was there, I got a phone call from uh, Marianne uh, Morgan, who I'm sure you know. Uh, hey, she was an intern here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she hired me at the Beacon News in Aurora. So I left, left school, took that job, was there for three years, three and a half years, something like that. And then in May of 2013, the Sun-Times decided that they didn't need photographers anymore. So it was, <laughs> was part of that, that layoff. I had actually been applying for other jobs before that had even happened. I was just ready to kind of move on and to try something new. So uh, through that whole process, learned that without a degree, I was getting the response of, you have a portfolio we like, but without a degree, we can't hire you. I didn't want to go the freelance route, so uh, my wife, kindly enough, was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's go back to Kentucky, and went back down there, was there for another two years, finished my degree, and then the last, the day of my last photography class in college, I got an offer from the Des Moines Register, and so... Ten days after walking across the stage, um, I started here in Des Moines. Wow. I didn't know. Yeah. I guess I didn't know. understand your timeline. I thought that, that you finished at Western Kentucky, got fired, got laid off, and then ended up in Des Moines. That two-year that two year stint of going back, that's very impressive. Yeah, it was, um, it was a weird decision. I mean, it's one of those life moments that you kind of, like, you will be seared in my memory. I mean... I remember we were standing in the kitchen. We were living in, in Lyle, Illinois, um, kind of sister city to Naperville at the time. And my wife and I were just standing in the kitchen and like, what are we going to do? You know, I mean, I could scrape by freelancing. She had a decent job at the time, but she wasn't, she was ready to move on as well. So we're like, well, 
let's let's see where see where this goes. And I love Bowling Green. Um, I still have some really good friends there. It's a wonderful place. So we just decided to make it work. And you know, I, I couldn't ask for a better partner. I mean, as as you know, it's it's a crazy job that we live. So um, the support of of a partner is is immensely helpful. And she followed me to Kentucky, and she's like, "Yeah, let's go to Iowa." So <laughs> that's cool. Do you think? Uh, do you think that? And I've always said this of my wife that because she was in at the ground floor of the career, it make though there are those moments where it's not easy, and it you you're like, "Hey, I'm not going to be here for this. Gotta go." Um, that it's easier for her to understand your schedule and you, the, the demands of your job because she came in on the ground floor. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we met in high school and, uh, I started photography in high school. So it's kind of been this journey, <laughs> both in our relationship and my relationship with photography. So she's been there every single step of the way, every rejection letter, but every acceptance letter and every job offer, every, every award, every time I have to submit to a contest, she edits all my captions. So she, she understands the entire thing. Um, and yeah, without that, uh, you know, obviously family comes first. So, um, it's been, it's been awesome to have her by my side the whole time. Yeah. I have a wife that edits my cut lines and my letters and my whatnot <laughs> too. Cause it's, it's, it's like, what, did you want to say this? Well, I kind of, what? well, you need to say it differently. Okay. <laughs> I think you'll get a better response. Thank you. Everybody needs a good editor. Yeah. So it's always even nice to be married to one. Yeah. I and mean, even yesterday, like I posted some pictures of my son on Facebook and, uh, she texted me like probably three minutes later. She said, um, you've forgotten a in one of your captions and it should be T O O and not T O in another one. <laughs> our wives could be, our, our wives could be friends. That's, that's yes. They could be friends. Uh, so, well, you mentioned your son Holden. I am of the opinion that photographers, photojournalists are the best baby photographers because I don't really, I like, unless you're related to me, I'm not super interested in vertical video of your baby. Um, but when photographers have children, the documenting of their child growing up is like watching a photo story in real time. And I find yeah. that super interesting. And so your pictures of Holden and your wife and your mom and your dad and your in-law and everything are really good. And it's worth the the time to look at them. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Cause I, I constantly try to like not post so much because I've always, heard you know oh my god you have a kid now all we're gonna see is pictures of your kid and i'm like well yeah <laughs> i'm so against that post the things you love post all those baby pictures i'm here for it i want to see everything <laughs> everyone loves i you know i post pictures of my dog <laughs> I, mean, I don't know i don't have kids but i i post a lot i had created an incredible i created a completely separate instagram account for my dog <laughs> so that i would not fill my Insta other Instagram picture with nothing but golden retriever and Labrador pictures. Cause I end up spending so much time with them and like, Oh, that'd make a good picture. Ooh, that'd make, Ooh, the light's perfect here. But anyway, um, so, and that brings us to your, you're talking about family first. You just finished, uh, in June. Um, I stumbled across when I was stalking your Facebook page this morning um, I had not seen this when it, when you posted it in June, the abortion story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just, 
I mean, just a little background on that, I guess, how it came to be. Um, so it was right as as Iowa was passing, the legislator was passing um, this fetal heartbeat bill that would basically ban abortions in the state after a fetal heartbeat could be detected uh, by a doctor. So all of our coverage of it, I mean, we had wall-to-wall coverage of the of it as it as it moved through the state house and all that sort of stuff. And and you know of bills kind of going through Congress as photographers, there's only so much we can do of, of kind of the cut and dry coverage of it like that. And what I thought was really missing in this debate was just the voices of women who have had to make this decision and, and not, you know, without anything attached to it, but just what it was like to actually have to face that decision head on from the voices of the people who have had to, to do it. So I, I got to go ahead to just to start, kind of making some phone calls and I wasn't sure where it was going to go, if anyone would be willing to talk to me, um, but through different organizations and different people willing to, to share their stories, you know, these, these three women came forward and it was powerful to say the least to talk to these women and have them recount this day, you know, some who did have an abortion, some who decided to go the other direction and now have, I, I think he's 14 now, uh, her son. So the idea is just to, to get their voices out in the open without anything attached to it politically. So talking to these women, how did you start this conversation of what you wanted to do? Like, how did you present this to the women's to tell these women to tell their stories? Um, I was incredibly upfront with them from the very beginning. Um, I didn't want to waste their time and, and I certainly didn't want to waste my time at the paper. So I explained, you know, this is what the project is going to be. It's going to be about abortion. And I just, I want to know your story. I want to know um, from start to finish kind of what led up to it and, and what it's been like since the goal at the end of it was to have a resource again for women who may be facing this decision currently. And, you know, if they could stumble upon this and hear the stories of people who have gone through it, you know, maybe they could find some support in it in whatever decision they have made or deciding to make. So, and I think that, that helped just being completely upfront with them and saying, you know, I, I have no motive here and you know, I'm not trying to, to skew one way or another. I just, I just want to know, you know, I want your voice to be heard. I want your voices to be part of this project and be in this conversation. Was there any, the fact that you're a, a guy doing a story about abortion and interviewing these women and the, the first interview in the series of Shanna Turner um, talking about her experience, I was crying at my desk mm-hmm. watching watching this video. First of all, I the, I having had having edited video that was emotional, and uh, myself, I I imagine that edit was very hard. Let alone sitting across from her. But did you get any kind of um, like? Did you have to break through some kind of wall as a as a man? doing this story? Um, I think if I did, it was all in my own head because the women knew what it was going to be about. And I think where they were at in their journey in, in dealing with their decisions, they'd come to a place of uh, reckoning. Peace is the wrong word, but they were ready to open up and deal with it and were willing to share their stories. And I don't think if they weren't there yet, they wouldn't have agreed to sit down and do the interview in the first place. So, um, again, I just tried to be as an, as open and honest with them as possible and kind of gave them a disclaimer at the beginning. If there's anything that you 
don't want to talk about or if there's things that, um, you know, that you get uncomfortable with or if there's something you say that you're like, oh, man, I, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. You know, this isn't live. I can cut it out. We can go back. We can start over. You know, don't worry about it. And there was the last woman I was got done with a disclaimer and, and she basically told me, she goes, no, I'm totally comfortable. If I didn't want to share this, I wouldn't be here. And it's like, very true. <laughs> so, yeah, because she um, talks about her drug use. She went, yeah, heavily into things that I was not even going to talk about or ask about. So when she went down like this earlier life that she had, and uh, I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, which then, in my mind, as an interview, was like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's keep walking down that path. I mean, how did this play into it and that sort of stuff? So, um, yeah, going back and editing those was tough. I actually, you know, have the, the dual monitor set up for video editing and had a, had a picture of Jordan and Holden on one screen kind of in thumbnail form. <laughs> and like the bottom corner of the frame as I was editing, especially Shana's because she got so emotional, um, in hers. So I had to take little breaks here and there, but it was, I was pretty happy with how it turned out in the end. It really did turn out nice. I, and I think it's the kind of important must-do journalism that that we as visual journalists, and you and I have talked about this in various exchanges, that the pushing the, the, the narrative forward visually is our responsibility in the newsroom because so many people will sit back and, oh, can we just get a picture that goes with this? It's like, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Yeah, we can just go take a picture of that building, but maybe we should you know, do more with this. And so it's our responsibility, be it a photo editor or photographer or whatever to, to, to raise their hand in the meeting and say, no, 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 we need to do more with this than, than has just been suggested to this meeting so that we can feed the beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having the support of, of a boss and of a newsroom who's willing to, you know, say, okay, well, yeah, if, if we can just get this picture for now, then you can go, you can go work on that, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so that was, that was really nice to, to have the time to be able to invest in a project like this. Yeah, it really turned out nicely. And your the use of the, um, and we'll put links on to this so that people can see it. The use of the um, text as transitional uh-huh. phases, was that your idea? Did you come up with that? Did you do, was that all you or did you work with someone else to, to make that happen? Um, so it was, a, it was a collaboration between me and Amber Eaton, who uh, actually no longer works for us. Um, but uh, we worked together. I, I kind of brought to her a rough outline of how I wanted the project to look online because I knew I didn't want it to be the traditional online format. Um, so we worked together to try to figure things out. And I basically took a few sheets of printer paper and kind of sketched out how I wanted the interface to work. And then she would go in and code it because we actually had to build it off site. Um, so she would go in and code it with placeholder text and video. Um, and then I would kind of give her feedback on what I was hoping it to look like. And then, so we just, it was back and forth between the two of us of like, okay, well, this could be cool. Well, could we do this? And you know, how do we want the video to go? And then at the end, we showed it to uh, Michael Zamora, the, the photo editor here. He's like, well, can we get a little more visuals up top? So we kind of reorganize things um, to make it a little more, to add some more video uh, up at the top um, and put the the video of Governor Reynolds signing the bill 
kind of underlaid over that beginning text. So it was it was a team effort. And and Zamora didn't suggest using any drone footage at all in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Just, Not for this one. I'm just joking. Um, so from beginning to end, from the time you raised your hand in an, in the meeting, uh, how till to that it published? How long was that? Oh, um, it kept getting bumped back uh, just because the the bill kept getting shifted and changed around, and then just with other things that I was working on. So it just kept getting pushed back and back and farther back. So I think. I don't remember the exact timeline, uh, but it was probably two months. Wow, that's it. It really turned out nicely. What was the exactly. reader? What was reader reaction? Um, I don't know if I got any direct feedback other than you know various things. It, it kind of got buried after a few after because the flooding happened real quick after that, and then there was something else that happened soon after. So it, it kind of got put on the back burner of all the promotions online and stuff like that. But I mean, overall it was, you know, Hey, nice job, you know, and the feedback from the organizations that I worked with, they were happy with it. So, but I didn't hear any like massive opposition or you know, like huge, like, Oh, this is amazing. So I guess that's good. Yeah, no, it is good. <laughs> when you talk about opposition, it transitions into the, one of the other things that I stalked on your Facebook page today was the citizenship ceremony. Mm -hmm. And so we all covered the citizenship ceremonies. And I thought that it would be, it'd be awesome to cover a citizenship ceremony in, in the light of a baseball game, as opposed <laughs> to into a federal courthouse, which is not designed for photography. <laughs> it's like, I always feel bad for these people who are taking their citizenship under fluorescent lighting. <laughs> it's like, welcome to America. Um, yeah. You're going to be poorly color corrected. Um, so, and I, and you wrote that, uh, you wrote a very nice essay. What was the genesis of your essay to go with your photographs? Was, did they happen the same? Did you just like run back to the newsroom and write that? Or did you, or did you have that? How did all that happen? I, uh, so yeah, it kind of started with, uh, Michael Zamora actually, when he came to me. So the fourth was my holiday to work this year. And I think the ceremony happened on the third. So he's like, well, you know, see if you could find a family who you could spend the 4th of July with, um, and see what their first, you know, independence day is like as us citizens. Uh, so I went and just did general coverage of the event for the next day's paper, but in talking to some people at during the event, I met the Espinosa family and found out that it was a husband and wife and their daughter who were all doing it at the same time. Wow, that's, that's interesting. So I tried to focus on them a little bit more. And then the next day went out to their house and they're from Pella, Iowa and uh, just kind of spent some time interviewing them and talking to them at their house. Uh, wrote the story from Casey's parking lot uh, in Pella, Iowa and uh, sent it in from there with the video. Cool. Did you have pizza while you were there? <laughs> I think I had uh, coffee and uh, cherry slices. Oh, I can't go to. I can't. Have you gone to? Have you been to a Casey's yet? No. No. What's the? Oh, you gotta go. You gotta go. What is? Is it? It's a convenience store that happens. It ends up in. They're they're all in rural locations. So like, if you go out to a Lido or someplace like that, you'll pass a Casey's. 
Is it like, is it a gas station? Yeah. Okay, I've seen the signs. I haven't gone to one yet. Yeah, and they and they have pizza, and it's like the oh. best greasy <laughs> gas station pizza ever. And, and the breakfast we, pizza oh, is yeah. the way to go. Yeah, that's yes, he's right. And we come from Chicago, where pizza is a like a religion. Mm. So yeah, does there any good? You know, I've been. This is completely off topic for a second, but is there any good pizza? I know there's tons of great beer in Des Moines. Is there any great pizza? there's good pizza. Okay. <laughs> but there's not, I mean, it's nothing that compares to, cause back home, like, you could throw a rock and you could hit a place that can make good pizza. That can make great pizza. You just look up pizza in the phone book and anything that doesn't end in hut has great pizza <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, here it's a, you have to kind of seek it out. We found a couple places that we like that, Past muster, but um, nothing that compares to you know Lumalnati's or you know little Italian back home. Yeah, the um, and, and you're and you're so you went to high school with your wife, so your wife is in on, in on the pizza bandwagon. I married a woman from here in Moline, which she was raised on Harris Pizza. Have you had Harris Pizza? They're not a sponsor. We have no sponsors. So <laughs> I can say this. It's Quad City Pizza. And Quad Cityans are like their crumbly sausage. And I grew okay. up on big fat sausage, Italian sausage. So yeah. there are places now kind of coming into the into the Quad Cities that like Tony's is this little hole in the well <laughs> Chicago place in Moline that you could. I have not had better Chicago food outside of Chicago than this little hole in the wall in Moline. And it's just, it's like the hot dogs taste right. Cause they're being a beef hot dogs. The, the, the deep dish pizza tastes right. I mean, it's just, it's hmm. really nice, but the quad cities like, but now the quad cities pizza is like a, like a, is like, uh, 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 what do they call it? It's not, it's a hip thing in Chicago to go to these, these guys from the quad cities went, to Chicago and opened up a pizza joint in, in the Chicago area making quad city pizza. And I'm like, I think we just got one here. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Don't go there. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that about their business. Go, b b please spend your money with these people. I'm sure they're very nice, but I, I, I'm biased because it crumbles. What kind of, you're from the South. What, what kind of pizza, pizza do you, we have Domino's. We've got a good barbecue, but we don't, we don't have good pizza. There's, Oh, they have Marco's Pizza. That's do y'all have Marco's? I don't know. That's the only good, but it's not even that great. Okay, it's another chain, but we have like gas station barbecue, which sounds so sketchy, but it's like the best stuff you'll ever have. And people from out of town are like, "I'm not eating out of a gas station." I'm like, yes, you are. Hey, you know <laughs> the best the best panini I have ever had was in a gas station in Italy. <laughs> On, the, on a roadside, at a roadside yeah. uh, gas station, like one of the, you know, if you go to anywhere in America, they've got you know, like the big chain that runs all the, mm -hmm. the the little gas stations along the highway. And so, whatever this company was that has all the gas stations over the highway in Italy, uh, we went in and we're like, oh yeah, paninis. Eh, it's going to be a gas station panini, <laughs> but I'm really hungry because I'm on a bus trip in Italy. <laughs> And, I, and my wife and I are like, holy crap, this is way better than anything we can get in the United States. <laughs> but anyway, so the back, yeah. to, back to citizenship. Um, now that we've gone down the road, every meeting I've ever been in, it descends into food. And I don't, I'm surprised I'm not a big fat guy. Um, 
So the citizenship thing, what struck me is that you posted it on your Facebook and we've all had this happen as photographers where your one like super conservative or your super liberal friend makes a comment and you're like, really? That's kind of out of context. Why are you saying that? And I noticed you had one person mention something about legal immigration. You left that out of your headline. It's like, I don't know if that was, you know, and I've had it happen to me where people are like, well, you don't say anything positive about the president. I'm like, I did, what? Why, <laughs> Chuck, what are you talking about? Like, that's not the point. Reporters have been killed in the newsroom. Why are you talking about us not saying nice things about the president? You're going down a rabbit hole. And that's, we open ourselves up. We share our stuff at whatever. And we have friends of all different size, shapes, and persuasions. And then somebody makes a weird comment. And it's like, I don't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I just let it go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I noticed you didn't just, respond when you cover stuff like this, you know, it's going to happen. And even with the abortion stuff, like it's a, it's a hot button topic that people are feel passionate about. And if they at least could take the time to look at it and it made them feel something, I'm glad it did, but it, I'm not obligated to respond to everything that somebody posts or comments on. So, uh, yeah, I just yeah. kind of left it. Yeah. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's so smart to choose your battles and not go in every single time just ready to fight and take on whoever. I mean, I have family that doesn't very conservative and very liberal, and they go to battle on my comments sometimes. And I'm just like, all right, guys, Thanksgiving, let's talk about not ruining our lives on <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just not worth it. I mean, you can just, you can just, it's our job to put it out there and, and to let the conversations happen, but people's minds aren't going to be changed online. So I just kind of let those go. Yeah. Good idea. Good advice to the other fellow journalists who might be listening. Cause it, I, there, there's occasionally people will respond in, especially in the Twitter comments. What was the thing that people got on me recently about Twitter? The house, the house fire. Wasn't it? The house fire. Cold Valley. Oh yeah, yeah. We I covered a. I was walking my dog with Lisa and I were walking our dog, and we're like, "Wow, it's there's something burning, like that smell." And then we kind of went a little bit further, and we're like, "Wow, there's a big plume of smoke in the sky. That's really near where we are." And, and we have your typical suburban kind of windy around neighborhood where you can get you, people who come into your house get lost because they get down one way down. Um, <laughs> cul-de-sacs and whatnot. And so we kind of work our way around and we come around the corner and this house is ablaze. I thought, oh, I'm going to run. I'm going to run to get my gear because I'm like, I don't know, I'm half a mile away from my house. And I realized after starting that, like Lisa took the dog towards the fire and I started running towards my gear. And I realized that I had started... <laughs> This is so embarrassing. I I had got home from work late and quickly threw on a pair of shorts and we started to walk the dog. I didn't put a belt on. And so I'm running, I'm running towards my house and realize that I'm, I'm running by and I'm holding up my pants and I'm like, I can't do, I'm not in good enough shape to run for a half a mile holding up my shorts. Okay. So I hear the sirens and I go, well, I don't want to not get any 
flame coverage of this fire. I'm right here. So I, I ended up taking a U-turn around this corner and around, and this little girl on a bike goes, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to the fire. And she's like, where's the fire? And I'm like, the fire is this way. And she turns to her friend and goes, Mary, the fire is over here. <laughs> it was very suburban-y weird. And so we run. And so I get ahead of the kids with the bicycles and get here and, and start to f like, okay, now a little bit, you know, like couples, you know, like 30 seconds of video of this house ablaze. And so the house is kind of covered up by trees so you can see the fire, but it's not like there's no clear shot at the house because of the mm -hmm. trees and the house is set back from the road. And so um, I have to kind of come onto the edge of their property and kind of hunker down and I'm holding the, the iPhone still to get this video. I see the, the wife, the owner come through my peripheral vision and I decided that I was going to switch to still because if there was some kind of reaction, I wanted to get a picture for the paper um, because I already had dramatic video of the house. Just, I mean, this is a, it was a two and a half story, beautiful. But anyway, oh. so I switched the camera over to the iPhone over to the stills and start taking pictures of the, the woman come into frame and get hugged. And you can see in the frame, there's this young man in a blue shirt staring at me. And he, he ends up yelling, I can't believe there's this guy on our front yard taking our picture of our house burning. And when you're standing there in, in press gear, you've got your press badge on, you've got long pants on, you got a belt on, you know, you've got a collared shirt probably, you know, you look like you're supposed to be news media. I'm just a guy who is wearing a t-shirt and cargo shorts without a belt and an iPhone. So I did kind of look like every other neighbor who had pulled out their iPhone and was taking pictures of it. I posted the video on, and on uh, Twitter and, and then the, the comments of the high school friends of the, the family were uh, negative. And then uh, we found out later that Mike Cologne from channel four got the same blow pack when he showed up from the teenage family friends that were, and it was a beloved, I mean, a beloved family. Nobody got hurt. Their house is toast. And then, but the photos in the paper, and see, this is kind of what came of this, was the photos in the paper of the house burning and, and the woman getting hugged ended up getting people to go, hey, we need to start some kind of fun for these people. And there was all this public outcry to help the family. So the media coverage in garnered some kind of sympathy from the public. So it wasn't, we weren't just, our, the result of us being there wasn't just gratuitous pictures of fire. You know, we had a positive impact with our coverage. And, but at the point, it's hard to explain to somebody when you're holding up your shorts that I'm, I'm there for a reason. So, but anyway. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of media coverage. Did you get any uh, blowback from the Tahara story? Um, oh man, I'm trying to think back. None that stand out. Most of that was, by and large, supportive and positive. Um, That's good. For the people who are listening that don't know the Tahara star, Tahara, and I cannot, well, how do you pronounce her last name? Rahman? Yeah, okay. That's terrible of us that I should have like practiced it before we came on. She is the first Muslim television reporter to broadcast as a full-time employee on in the United States. Is that correct? Is that how to describe what her, 
her groundbreaking um, in hijab. I did a good job. Okay. I think, no. Yeah. No. Oh, in, in her hijab. hijab. That's right. Excuse <laughs> I thought you said yeah. you did a good job. I might edit that part out. <laughs> I am a total idiot. <laughs> I know. You I had, Jessica made the, the made a, a, a hand motion to, to to say head covering and I'm like, "Oh, hijab. Oh, yeah, good job." I'm a I'm an idiot. Anyway, no. And I, I love her. She's really cool. And I've talked to her a lot of times and I shot her portrait. And the way you and I started talking about this was the fact that we're local media covering local media. So she works for Channel 4, which is here in the Quad Cities. Local media covering local media is always kind of uncomfortable because you're promoting your essentially your competition's coverage of something or the people who are doing the coverage. It was a national story because she was the, the first... Muslim reporter in hijab to be on, on television reporting. And uh, so I ended up shooting a, a, a fairly okay portrait of her in their conference room while her news director was tapping his fingers on the table, wanting her to get to work. But you guys went the extra mile, which we kind of, I, we just didn't have, we, plus we, I was the only person working that day. So there was no way for me to spend all day with her, but, um, but you did a whole day with her. So what was that like? Uh, it was, it was awesome. Uh, she is just super inspiring to be around. Um, and to hear the, like her perseverance and getting through it and kind of her journey to where she is now. And then the support that she's gotten from the newsroom, it was, it was really, really cool to, to be a part of. So I was happy we got to spend as much time out there as we did. Being that we cover so much of the state, sometimes you get sent out somewhere you drive three hours to shoot for an hour to drive three hours back. But it was nice to be able to spend all day out there and kind of see the breadth of her day. Yeah, it turned out really well. And, and I was jealous because we didn't get to tell that story. And she was sitting in our backyard or standing in our backyard and, and, and it just didn't work. It did, it did it was The stars did not align for us to tell that story visually, but we had her on the front page and with the portrait and, and that had to suffice for what we did, but it was, it was good that she got that kind of attention. The thing that I've been very impressed with her and I've told her when I run into her at stuff was I have never seen a reporter come to a cover the governor. So we were both covering governor Rauner, the Illinois governor and this PR woman from one of the local big local companies after it was all over, pulled her aside and wanted to make sure she got a selfie with her because she was so inspired by her. And I've never, first of all, I've never seen that happen before where, where some PR flack decides that they have to have a selfie with the television reporter. You know, I mean, but she, she's handled her celebrity, for lack of a better term, very well and very level-headed. And mm -hmm. I do give it to Channel 4 for, for taking that chance Um on her and putting her on air and she's a good reporter. I mean, she's a mm -hmm. good reporter. So there's there, it's not, uh, they're not doing it for the publicity sake. She's actually a, a very good reporter and works her, her, her tail off to get stories and do stories. And, and, uh, she's a fun person to know and we need to have her on the podcast sometime. So anyway, yeah. Oh, that'd be a great show. Yeah. So you survived Ragbri to transfer into our last subject. It's not so heavy. <laughs> We've covered some heavy topics here, abortion, racism. Um, so Ragbri, is that, how do you cover Ragbri 
do you like just in your car with Rodney for seven days or how's this work? Uh, so I've, I, I feel like I've done it a, a bunch of different ways. When I started here three years ago, I started in May and Ragbri is the last week of July. They're like, Hey, you, you ride your bike, right? I'm like, yeah, I ride a bike. <laughs> like, well, we have, <laughs> uh, we have this bike ride and I had no idea what it was at the time. I'm like we need you to ride it. I'm like, okay like well it goes across the state and we need you to shoot it too <laughs> oh okay so i've covered it by bike and then by car um i prefer to do it by bike just logistically it's easier because some of these towns some of the areas it goes through ragbrise on the only paved road through the county <laughs> basically um so to cover it by car you're you're constantly sometimes driving 10 15 miles out of the way just to kind of hops catch the route to catch people again um but this year Roddy and i are two of the three drone pilots that we have at the register so we were basically just trying to find the most scenic areas of the route in the morning so that we could then produce a video get the video out by noon and then ideally make a second one for the later half of the day but the first one was a priority to get that up kind of at or around noon and yeah, it was just a matter of like, well, kind of scouting beforehand and well, what do you think? Do you think this would make a good shot from the air or how about this? And kind of just bouncing ideas back and forth and then getting out there and finally being like, oh, didn't notice that power line on Google Maps. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> do you, so, here. so you guys don't like scout, like drive the route in advance of the, the like the two weeks before or something to figure out where things are? You, you're doing it, you're scouting on the run. So there, Ragbride does a pre-ride of the route in early June. And we usually have a photographer on that ride. And it's basically 40 people do the route. Ragbride does it to kind of get the towns ready, to give them like a final logistical check. And they also check all the roads at that point to make sure there's no massive construction projects that are going to get in the way or no craters in the road, that sort of stuff. So I've done that in the past, and that's been really nice recon for Ragbri itself. Um, I wasn't able to do it this year, but we were able to get insights from the photographers who wrote it of like, okay, well, you know, outside of Kelowna, you might want to fly this, or, you know, one of the other towns, you know, you might want to fly here. So they were able to give us some insight, uh, but a lot of it was, yeah, Google Maps uh, and that sort of stuff. So we didn't, we never actually went out and drove route. I, I'm, you know, the, the drone, drone footage is, is awesome. The drone footage was awesome. And, and, and it gives a completely different perspective. I, I shot a, um, a few years ago, I shot, I attached two GoPros to a, the final beam going up to a big building here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, the video from that turned out great. You know, two GoPros. One was pointed straight down as the as, and then the other one ended up capturing the guys up on the beam as they locked it down. And so that turned out really great. And everybody was super wowed by it. Yesterday, I covered the exact same event, kind of event for the for the topping out ceremony. I had I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I can get one of these guys to attach the GoPro to a to the beam. And of course, I'd been on vacation all week and didn't bother to check if my GoPros were charged. 
And I went to get the GoPro out and it was dead as a doornail. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll just be shooting this from the ground. As I'm shooting the, the beam go up, my eye goes past the, the, the guys up on the building and there's this white drone <laughs> floating right above them. And I'm like, yeah, boy, technology's come a long way in just a very <laughs> short period of time that you could do what I did and more from a, from a remote device that can fly all around what these two guys were doing up on this top of this big building. So, yeah, I know the drones are cool. I am just blown away by the the pictures that you and Rodney produce that are that seem to be unique every year of sunsets and the the juxtaposition of cyclists to landmark and I mean it just they're just beautiful they're just Thanks. they're just I mean they're 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 the kind of thing that you put on your wall. Like this is a really, like I just, I rode my bike for 40 minutes yesterday. That's, that's, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get back into it. I find my wife finally got a bike. So now we're, we're riding after work because the dog is old and doesn't want to walk. So we're the, uh, so we're that like beginner bike couple. So we rode for 40 minutes yesterday, but the idea of riding across the state, seeing pictures, like me, I'd probably I'd take two days to get to each day each site because I'd be stopping to take pictures all the time. Yeah, it's I mean, working with Rodney is I mean it's a learning experience every time I do it, and you know I've been working with him for years now, and he is just so focused on on what he wants to do and driven to get a certain picture, and when it's in his head that that's the picture he needs to make. I mean, he was getting up at 4.30 in the morning every day just to scout places and make sure that he was in the right spot when the sun came up at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. So when you're working with someone like that, it's hard to not get sucked into that as well. And and he's producing every single day. So it's like, oh, geez, like, I'm working right next to him. I got to not make the same picture, but I have to make something that's just as good. Um, so it's... It was a really great environment for that. Those, I think we were together for the first four days of Red Bank, of just constantly going and then looking at what he shot and being like, oh my gosh, how'd you do that? And then trying to, to do something different the next day. And that's the fun part about Red it's, it's the same, but it's different every single day, which presents a new challenge to not just make something with, you know, using the, the circles of the wheels as, as your crutch. I mean, it's, it's really fun to watch him work especially in a state in an area that he has covered for so many years and he's so familiar with, you can just run an idea by him. He's like, Oh, well, five years ago we did that. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not changed. I, one iota. I remember being in the dark with him at the daily Iowa years and years and years and years and years ago, he would get, he taught me, to like your stuff for like five minutes and then be done with it. And he yeah. wasn't trying to teach me that. I mean, he didn't turn to me uh, and say, Hey, this is how you should behave or this is how you should approach your work. But I have always, always credited him with my, you know, like, Hey, I, I always have trouble putting stuff on my website or stuff or entering contests because I fall out of love with a picture pretty quickly and don't kind of want to rest on that picture. And I, that I attribute all of that to, to watching Rodney edit in a dark room over a light table and then him getting mad about how 
some picture sucked and then watch him print it and go, what are you, yeah. you, you've got to be, I give my left arm to have taken that picture today on a boring Tuesday in Iowa city. And he's, it was just, yeah, you know, he, he sets a very high standard for himself. He's incredibly generous with his time and he's just a, a, a super uh, talented person. Did yeah. I think he's, especially, go ahead. I, and especially with the drone stuff. I mean, the the morning sunrise photos that he would constantly go out and get, like, oh my gosh, but the way um, the drone stuff being so technical, uh, you know, everything we do these days is, seems like it's immensely technical, but dealing with, you know, the, the computer side of the drone, but also with the regulations from the FAA and where you can and cannot fly or, you know, different things you can do or can't do, he's just an encyclopedia on that kind of stuff. So it's, an incredible resource to have as a coworker, but then also for the newsroom to have that to, to have that base of knowledge and to have somebody that's that passionate about what they do is is pretty cool. Couldn't agree with you more. He's he is he's a savant is the best way yeah. I can describe Rodney. And I and I, I I wish I ran into him more. I don't run into him very often, if at all. I it just trade text messages and an occasional email with him about light like the thing that he he and I did a lot with or a lot that's kind of an overstatement but the the finding inexpensive triggers for yeah. lighting you know because you can spend uh -huh. a shitload of money oh now we're an explicit episode because i use shit <laughs> oh man god damn it oh sorry um so so children at home have sensitive ears don't listen to this with your children so is this going to offend anybody in the south that i swore no 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 we're, we're all big cussers in the south you're big okay. cussers? Oh yeah. Oh good. I don't know anyone that doesn't. All right, good. Because uh, we're big in the South now, Brian. We 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 hired Jessica, and apparently <laughs> podcast numbers went through the roof in the South. It was an untapped resource. I had no idea that we were going to get so many new listeners to the podcast that live below the Mason Dixon line. Um, hey, sweet. Yeah, exactly. I distracted myself again. What was I saying? Cheap triggers. Oh, cheap triggers. And so I ended up like. Like, hey, I don't want to spend a million dollars on pocket wizards. And so, like, hey, he was trying this Korean brand or off brand or whatever. And I, I finally ended up settling for the, or not settling, but sinking my money into the Adorama's Flashpoint um, series. But, um, but yeah, you can do a lot more with by spending a lot less if you do your research and, and talk to people who have experienced them. So, mm -hmm. yeah. well, even just that, we were covering Iowa State's media day uh for football and we kind of split them up so he did iowa state and then i did iowa's and we're kind of knocking around ideas back and forth and we were going to try to do this high speed sync thing with, with iowa states and but he wanted to use we have a, a 2018 that he wanted to use for it we're trying to figure out how to trigger the lights the studio lights to sync with the high speed sync and it just it wasn't going to work so finally he showed up and he had all these he had them all linked together with phone cords and these Aditap adapters and basically customized this whole rig to, to work, to do these photos out at Iowa state. And he was trying to explain to me how it worked. And it was just mind boggling to listen to him. Like, are you an electrician or a photographer? <laughs> He's both. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the Iowa state fair, you're in the middle of the Iowa state fair. Yeah. 
talked about the, the Iowa State Fair. Let's close on the Iowa State Fair. For people who have never, the average person who doesn't go attend the Iowa State Fair, the Iowa State Fair is basically known not for, well, other than the butter sculptures, right? Butter sculptures? Yeah. They, butter, yeah, they sculpt people or things out of butter. Um, uh-huh. And other than that, which of course always makes the national news because people in New York are fascinated by things that are carved out of butter, are the political it's it's just become so important politically. Yeah, I mean, in the the soapbox is registered sponsored soapbox, especially during caucus years. I mean, you have every candidate who's thrown their hat in the ring comes and stands on the soapbox and gives their stump speech. But this year, I think we've had a we've had a presidential candidate. I think there's a couple that are either exploring or have just declared. Um, but I think most of them are still just exploring their run. But yeah, and people, it's funny because some people are really into it and they're standing right up there and they're hanging on every word. But then you have you know, thousands more people just walking by on the midway. It's like, oh, hey, there's you know, Tim Reynolds. Just yeah, there's <laughs> a there's there's the governor just talking. I'm I'm gonna yeah. go buy something fried on a stick. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And it's really cool because there's, I mean, it's one of those events where there's there's so much going on. It's almost paralyzing as a photographer to try to cover if you're just trying to cover the fair in general. But it's it's been really fun to experience and kind of see the last few years, uh, especially coming from, you know, suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, I didn't I, I never I don't think I ever I mean, the closest thing I came to a fair growing up in the Chicago suburbs was going to Great America. I mean, I guess that was <laughs> on a sweaty Saturday in July. That's always yeah. We nothing, would nothing like hanging we'd go out, out with, to like the Sandwich County Fair. We'd go out there every once in a while and and kind of walk around there. And I mean, this was just bad on steroids. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we cover, we, we, we used to do more when we had more of us, we used to throw more resources towards the County fairs, but we'll, we always have to emphasize to interns who have no fair experience that when we send them to the queen contest, that this isn't just a, this is not a joke. Like this oh, is, no. this is serious business. This is you're you're not there to, to stand there and like, hope oh, you're like, what? Oh, like I, you know, whatever County fair queen, this is dumb. No, this is serious business. And if you behave like that, they will kill you. Uh-huh. Um, and so that we always have to emphasize them. And we have, we always, lately I've just been sicking Meg on the interns to emphasize because Meg was the one that incurred the, the wrath, not because she, she did anything she covered it as a as a photojournalist and because she is she was good at talking her way to the back she didn't just cover it from the front she was all over it and so she took pictures uh, of people when they were not ha- when they weren't happy or they were getting ready and they kind of didn't understand what she was doing when she was doing it cuz nobody had ever done it before and then they saw her pictures in the gallery and were like Oh yeah, we we don't want you to come back. Um, <laughs> yeah, she incurred a little bit of the anger from the fair moms. From I don't remember which one of the, but it was they were really good storytelling pictures. She did a really good job of covering it. It was early in her career, and she was kind of naive as to what people would or would not let her do. So she just went until someone told her she couldn't do something, uh, which is the right way of approaching it. But she wasn't afraid of anything, so. She ended up making some very nice photos and and tends to to go to these fairs and make really good pictures. But we if we don't send her, then we, if we send the intern, then 
uh, we have to emphasize to the intern that this is super important and they shall, shall not think of it in a comical way. It may end up comical, but it's not certainly intended to be comical. Yeah. So we'll close on your favorite fried food at the fair. Oh. Uh, it's got to be a tenderloin. It definitely has to be a, a pork tenderloin sandwich. Uh, there's a, a trailer by the restaurant is Chucky's, and it's kind of off. It's not on the main strip there. It's it's kind of out and around, but uh, it's delicious, absolutely delicious, and it's something I get at least twice a year. Mm. You I've do. Never, I've never heard of that. You've right. never heard of a, of a pork tenderloin sandwich? No. Well, we can. I feel like I'm you, from the South. I should, but. There's, there's a mm-hmm. restaurant right over here called Porky's. It's like the worst name for a restaurant. <laughs> um, Porky's is this, the last of the chain, I guess. It might be a, I don't think it's a local chain. It, it might have been a local ch- I don't know. Anyway, but <laughs> no, anybody who, that's where you go to get um, the, the, the pork tenderloin sandwich here. That's one of the places. I'm sure there are other places, but that's the one that pops to mind. But the place is called Porky's. It's terrible. I mean, it's, I don't know who came up with that name. Like, hey, let's name it after a horrible 80s movie. Oh, my God. Anyway. Well, keep yeah. up the good work, man. I, it's, I, and I really enjoy your stuff, and I've been dying to get you on the podcast, and today worked out perfectly. Um, yeah, I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out. Uh, so you're on the, the watch for, for some political news today. And, you know, if those pictures come out, we'll sure to devour them when we see them. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the event's supposed to start at one, but there may be some protests before or during. Mm, so we'll see. Political protests yeah. at the <laughs> Iowa State Fair. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it ends up. Protests right. in Iowa are, can be... I hey I my my DI career when I was in Iowa City my DI career was spent a lot of time in the Pentecost with people pr- protesting the CIA abortion and what every day every oh, single man. day in the Pentecost there was and actually I saw the other day I was covering the Bix and there was the same kind of scary ultra right conservative Christian you're going to hell signs. That I and I'm like, oh my god! I wonder if these people know these people I photographed in the '80s. <laughs> like, I wonder, and I'm like, they're too, they're too young to be those people. Maybe these are the kids they dragged to the, because these people they would bring these like, my favorite photo is this idyllic blonde child standing smiling in front of her father, holding a sign on the old Capitol steps that's saying that all the students were going to hell. Oh god! Yeah. So that was yeah. That's uh, I love a good protest. All right, Brian. Thanks very much. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Jessica Gallagher. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. The Talking Pictures podcast is produced by Todd Meisner with help from Todd Welvert, Meg McLaughlin, Jessica Gallagher, and Gary Crambeck, with a special thanks to Laura Frames and Laura Anderson-Shaw. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog at talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Make sure you never miss a podcast by subscribing to the Talking Pictures Podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or any place podcasts are distributed. 